0: morning liberty
1: well what is going on all of our liberty loving friends this is another fantastic episode of good morning liberty i'm one of the hosts here charles chuck the hated thompson with me as always the most liked host on podcast today
2: that's that sounds very true mr nathaniel paul thurston yeah yeah, that's my given name. How is it going? It's going pretty good today, man. We're, I feel honored to be with you, to as,
1: introduce you, to bring you to the forefront of our forefathers. As
2: you should. Yeah, yeah. As as you should. Yeah, we uh, we're going early today. It's morning time for even some of our contiguous United States listeners mm-hmm. today. So this is an early show, but I'm excited about it because we are going through a video. From Robert Reich III, as, uh, as I call him, and it's called What If We Actually Taxed the Rich? And this is only a six-minute video, but it's going to take the entire episode. Mm. It's going to be fun. We're going to go through all the bad ideas and talk about why they're bad ideas, all, those, all the lies that are in it, and talk about maybe uh, the real things that we should be looking at if we w- wanted to help the economy. I don't know. I don't know if that's the actual point or if it's I just go, getting more money.
1: I can go one better. I mean, we can just wrap this whole episode up in five minutes. Okay. Why don't we just outlaw profit?
2: There, there make, you go. Make being rich illegal. And then all of the extra money will flow to the government and the people. The people mm-hmm. will get more money. We just outlaw profit. Mm-hmm. And all of that extra excess capital, excess profit, yep, yeah, that'll just go Straight to where it should be going right now, mm. the where it's being stolen from the workers. Yeah, I think that's, that's a great idea.
1: That's it. That's, that's no need to mess around with all this other, you know, intricate tax plans and stuff.
2: That it's is a just, novel idea there, Charlie. And I think that we should we should try it. We should try that sometime soon. I, don't, I mean, when honestly, they tried I, it in the 1930s, it just, you know, they weren't ready. They didn't have the technology.
1: I want to talk more about how blessed I feel. Okay. To be in your presence.
2: <laughs> I would like and, you to talk more about that too.
1: Yeah. Just yeah. every time I come into the office, you know, I'm just like, wow. You know, I get to do this show with Nate.
2: I, Nate I, the Great. I, I completely understand where you're coming from. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, hey, if
1: you want to hate on me and praise Nate, then go to goodmorningliberty.locals.com. That's the place to be where you can change your name in the Discord to Chuck Hater.
2: Chuck Hater. You're
1: still welcome. You're welcome. I don't ban anybody who hates me. I'm not that kind of dictator. I'm a benevolent dictator who welcomes the hate from anybody. We got several. There's a few Chuck haters in here. Professional. Costco, Miles. Yeah. There's two of them that literally, that's that's their pronouns. That's what I have to call them by. (laughs) Chuck or hater. And so um,
2: Somehow it started that everyone in the Discord put their pronouns in their bios over the last couple days. mm -hmm. And I'm waiting for them to tell me what I should put in my bio. I guess I have to come up with that, but hey, yeah. no offense to anyone who puts pronouns in their bio. There's also that's people fine. who aren't Whatever. Chuck haters. The, a couple.
1: But, but they're, they're, yeah, just one or two that aren't Chuck haters. Predominantly,
2: yeah. people hate Chuck, though. Yeah, yeah,
1: which is fine. You know, I can handle it. That's, that's, why, that's why I can be hated, because <laughs> I can handle
2: it. Nate, Nate couldn't handle it. No, I, you know, I don't know if I would be able to handle it the way that you do. So that's, uh, that's pretty true. Well, Nate
1: needs us praise. So go praise him at goodmorningliberty.locals.com. It's only five bucks a month, folks. That's do it.
2: it. Go do it. If you actually care about liberty, that's what you do. I mean, if you want a yeah. virtue signal about caring about liberty, then that's fine too. But there are people actually putting the rubber to the pedal right now over there at goodmorningliberty.locals.com. Mm-hmm. So if you're
1: wh- an actual liberty lover as we address you in the beginning mm-hmm. of the credits. Yeah. Yep,
2: yep, the yep. The opening credits. All right, let's go through some of this video. We're going to start this thing. It should be fun to uh to go through and uh I'm sorry if it stresses you out or anything, but I think this uh, I sent it to Charlie earlier and he was so <laughs> Uh, you were so taken aback by how amazing and well put together this was and well thought out. Mm -hmm. You had to call me and talk about it. And you were like, how could we possibly do an episode on this video? It's perfect. There's nothing wrong in this video at all,
0: but let's go through it. Let's see what we got here. And here we go. Income and wealth are now more concentrated at the top than at any time over the last 80 years. And our unjust tax system is a big reason why. The tax code is rigged for the rich, enabling a handful of wealthy individuals to exert undue influence over our economy and democracy. Conservatives fret about budget deficits. Well then, to pay for what the nation needs, ending poverty, universal health care, infrastructure, reversing climate change, investing in communities, so much. Okay, I'm going to
2: stop it already right there. Now on the list, th- these are going to be really important. To pay for what we need we're going to have to finally start taxing these rich people. Mm. And this is a this is a great way that they sell this all the time. They show you all these things that we're going to have if we just tax the rich. We'll talk about two pennies on the dollar, three pennies on the dollar, stuff like that in this video, and how the rich are paying a lower tax rate than the people in the bottom 50% and all that nonsense.
1: I like how Elon Musk's picture was there, which he wouldn't have made this video last year, probably. Probably
2: not. Well, that's part of the problem. He
1: would have been replaced by...
2: If we just could have stopped him from making it into this point, then we would have solved poverty, which is an issue that we'll talk about with, uh, with wealth taxes here in a bit. But we got ending poverty. We have universal... Child care, we're going to, uh, universal health care, we have infrastructure, we got reversing climate change, and investing in communities, whatever general point that is. And if we just tax the rich, we're going to get all these things, and he's going to total up all the money we're going to make from these taxes, and how it's going to pay for all this stuff, and it's going to be, it's going to be so now, good. keep in mind, too,
1: if you're maybe a new listener and don't know, and you don't know who Robert Reich is, uh, he is... Uh, an economist, mm-hmm. okay, and he also worked for, I believe, the Clinton can uh, the Clinton administration. Clinton I think Clinton he was the top
2: uh, economic advisor. Yeah, pretty sure.
1: So keep that in mind as we go through this. That that this guy literally um, is a, a supposed economist.
2: Yeah, and and just you know we'll play a little bit more of the video, but we're going to talk about each one of these things separately. As we go through it, that he just listed out right there. In fact, we'll go through a little bit of it right now. And I I think it would be a good thing if we go through some of it right now. The first thing is from
1: Yale Law School, Dartmouth College. Uh, He also yeah, he was a former United States secretary of labor. And so and he's he's an American economist, professor, author, lawyer and political commentator. He served in the administrations of, oh, here we go, Presidents Gerald Ford and Jimmy Carter, as well as serving as the United States Secretary of Labor from 1993 to 1997 under President Bill Clinton. Yeah. So this guy, I know you're going to think to yourself, like, this can't be a real economist. But this guy's a, an actual economist who has served in the highest, some of the highest offices. In, uh, in in advisory roles inside of our government.
2: Whatever the heck actual so, economist means.
1: So I want you to keep that in mind as we go through this.
2: Now, the first thing he talks about there on this list is ending poverty. We're going to end poverty by, by taxing the rich is what we're going to do. Now, we've already talked about several times how much money has been spent on poverty. We've been fighting a war on poverty. For quite some time now, like 50 years, we've been fighting this war. It's the longest war that America's ever fought, mm-hmm. and we're not winning right now. That's an important point right there. We're not winning the war on poverty, all right? We we currently spend $300 billion a year fighting poverty, and some of these are estimates, and actually I underestimated most of these things, and that excludes the healthcare subsidies like Medicaid. When you actually put Medicaid into that, it's 660 billion per year, including Medicaid. Now, what we'll find out later in this video is just that what I told what I told you right there. Just taxing what he's going to talk about taxing would not even pay for those things that I just said right there—the 300 billion dollars a year that we currently spend fighting poverty. All right. And so there's a a cool website called federal safety net.com where they talk about this. And they say, even without including healthcare costs, Medicaid, we spent $803 per person in in poverty in 1965, $803 per person that's in poverty in 1965, which has steadily increased to in 2020, we spent $10,425 per person for a family of four. That's $41,700 that we spend per year fighting poverty. And that's excluding Medicaid. It actually goes up to over $90,000 per family of four, since that's the statistic that people want to use, that we spend every year fighting poverty. And what I want to know first off is, why don't you just give those people that $90,000? All the programs that we have are ridiculous. Now, those numbers where I told you that 300 billion, the 660 billion, that's off of 30 million people being in poverty. And the actual number right now, somewhere between 35 and 45 million people in poverty, And we spent somewhere between 25 and $30 trillion since we started this war on poverty. Now, I'm going to do something really quick, and it's going to take some time, but I'm going to read through these things. And I will admit right now, I took this from a book called Cooperation and Coercion. You guys should go check that out. All right. They do a thing where they list off all the programs that we currently have right now fighting poverty. Because the idea that most of these people will try and sell you is that we're just not doing anything to fight poverty. That's what they want you to believe is
1: that they don't have enough of your money. Mm-hmm.
2: If we just spent more money. But it's not, real, we, it's
1: not even your money, though, by the way. We don't have enough
2: of the ultra-riches money. Just them. And if we just had their money, then we would finally be able to end poverty... We'd be able to give universal health care to everyone. We'd be able to have infrastructure, which we don't have any right now. I don't Mm -hmm. know if you looked outside. There's none out there. We'd be able to reverse climate change. Not even slow it down, which the Paris Climate Agreement, which is going to cost trillions of dollars, just talks about slowing it down a little bit. The numbers for reversing climate change are astronomical. Nowhere close. They are nowhere close to even talking about reversing climate change but we could if you just if we taxed elon musk and jeff bezos we mm-hmm. could do that and in investing in communities finally we we've, we've uh, we haven't done that here's the here's the programs we got going right now i hope you guys are ready and make sure you write all these down because you're going to want to tell everyone when they tell you that we don't spend any money we don't have any programs for people in poverty earned income tax credit refundable child credit make work pay tax credit Temporary Assistance for Needy Families, Title IV-E, Foster Care, Adoption Assistance, General Assistance, Refugee Assistance, General Assistance to Indians, Assets for Independence, State Children's Health Insurance Program, Medical General Assistance, Consolidated Community Health Centers, Maternal and Child Health, Medical Assistance to Refugees, Healthy Start, the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, the School Lunch Program, SNAP for Women, Infants, and Children, or WIC, School breakfast, child care food program, nutrition program for the elderly, commodity supplemental food program, temporary emergency food program, needy families, farmers market nutrition program, the special milk program, section eight housing, public housing, low income housing tax credit for development, housing investment partnership program or home investment partnership program, homeless assistance grants. State Housing Expenditures, Rural Housing Insurance Fund, Rural Housing Service, Housing for the Elderly, Native American Housing with Disabilities, Low Income Energy Assistance Program, Universal Service for Subsidized Low Income Phone Service, Pell Grants, (laughs) Title I Grants to Local Education Authorities, 21st Century Learning Centers, Special Programs for Disadvantaged Students, Supplemental Education Opportunity Grants, Adult Basic Education Grants, Migrant Education, Gear Up, Leap, Education for Homeless Children and Youth, Aid for Graduate and Professional Study for Disadvantaged and Minorities, Even Start, Work Activities and Training, Job Corps, Summer Youth Employment, Senior Community Service Employment, WIA Adult Employment and Training, Food Stamp Employment and Training Program, Foster Grandparents, Youth Bill, Migrant Training, Native American Training. We should go learn how to be a Native American. (laughs) Lock Grant Services, Social Services Block Grant, Community Service Block Grant, Social Services for Refugees, Safe and Stable Families, Title III Aging Americans Act, Legal Services Block Grant, Family Planning, Emergency Food and Shelter Program, Healthy Marriage and Responsible Fatherhood Grants, Independent Living. Independent Living Training Vouchers. I just thought it was funny to put independent living in the middle of all this stuff. Maternal, Infant, and Early Childhood Home Visiting Program. Head Start. Child Care and Child Development Block Grant. Child Care Entitlement to the States. Community Development Block Grant. Economic Development Administration. Department of Appalachian Regional Development. Empowerment Zones and Enterprise Communities Renewal. And that's where I stopped writing everything down. Right there. There's more.
1: Yep. (laughs) Yeah.
2: That's um, that, this is two pages.
1: Don't worry. There's more. Now, some of you all might qualify for this. You might want to check into, uh, let's see, something like the Healthy Marriage and Responsible Fatherhood Grants. Yeah, There you go. So what, what? what is that for? I don't know. If you have a good marriage and you don't divorce your wife, I guess, and you're, mm-hmm. you're a responsible father, Yeah. well, maybe you might qualify
2: for maybe, a grant. Maybe you can go join the Job Corps. <laughs> I don't know. Were you helped by even start? And did you go to a 21st century learning center? <laughs> okay, so remember, we're not doing anything to help people in poverty. We haven't, and it's because all these rich people have all the money. That's, uh, that's what's going on right now. We can clearly tell. All right, let's go
0: a little bit further. Much more. The super wealthy have to pay their fair share. First, repeal the Trump tax cuts. It's no secret. Trump's giant tax cut was a giant giveaway to the rich. Stop.
2: Stop it for a second already. For those of you who haven't heard us talk about this before, you keeping some of your own money is not you being given money. Okay. I hate how they they frame this. It's like you automatically owe money to the government somehow. It's a social contract. All money is first owned by the government and whatever they let you keep is a giveaway to you. But you know,
1: I'm willing to pay more in taxes for more benefit. Then you should do it. And and you know, most people who say that don't actually pay hardly any taxes. Yeah. They'll tell you they will because they see it coming out of their paycheck, but they forget about all the things that they get back, which basically makes their effective tax rate
2: near zero. Yeah. Um, I was reading through the comments here. Costco said, I got a $5 raise right after the tax cut. A lot of people got raises after the tax cuts. A lot of people got bonuses after the tax cuts. A lot of people got new benefits after the tax cuts. My wife was just saying she has one more month left on her student loans, and she hasn't had to pay any of them since the tax cuts went through because um, HCA sent out a letter saying that in response to the Trump tax cuts, we're going to be paying for the college Tuition for all of our employees, and in fact, you can even apply as a, a, a dependent. They'll pay for college for an HCA employee. I might even check and see if they'll pay for uh, spouses. I'm not sure if they'll do that or not. Mm-hmm. But yeah, they're, it's not as if all that money just went straight into the richest pocket or right under their beds. Is where it went actually. So probably went into some of these programs. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. <laughs> Um, there's, you know, another thing that he says that is pretty common is that it's time for the rich to pay their fair share. You know, that's a big thing. Mm-hmm. They're pay their fair share. You could quote uh, someone like Thomas Sowell and ask what your fair share of, you know, what is your fair share of what someone else has earned? I don't know. And then there's the talking point of, well, uh, the 1% pay 40% of the taxes also, uh, that come in.
1: Also, it's very obvious that if you're going to have a tax cut, the people who are paying the most are going to benefit the most. hmm They're going to... Okay? Yeah. So if you're paying $100 in taxes and I'm paying $1,000 in taxes, let's just make the math simple for you folks, okay, and the taxes get cut by 10%, okay, that means you're going to pay 90 and I'm going to pay 900 So I saved $100. Well, you only saved 10 And Well, I, I got more benefits.
2: And somehow. so there's hundred Right there, there's $110 in tax giveaways, and $10 of it went to the person that was making less, and $100 of it went to the person that was making more. And then they'll take that percentage right there, and they'll say that, well, uh, 92% of it went to the wealthy person right there. Yeah. That, that, that that's actually how much of it. Uh, they both got the same tax cut. That's the important part to look. Yeah, obviously you're making more money. You're gonna you're gonna benefit more when there's a tax cut. And then and also then, if you're paying taxes, you'll benefit more from a tax cut than people who yeah. aren't actually paying taxes.
1: And and what was part of the Trump tax cuts? You have to look at that too, um, because well, really it wasn't much of a cut, um, but it did cut some certain things that are just erroneous uh, taxes anyway. For instance, he, uh, the Trump tax cuts raised the threshold. Of um estate taxes, mm-hmm. so that you don't have to pay estate taxes when you die and pass on you know things, and because that's a taxable event it's it's insane, so he someone dying, yeah, yeah, he raised it i don't remember what the threshold was let's it was like let's say ten million up to fifty million or something like that, so that those folks who are you know l- a little less wealthy, still wealthy but a little less wealthy aren't paying as much in a you know, a state tax and those types of things. So, yeah, the benefits did go to the richest people because they were paying ridiculous taxes
2: anyway. And um, uh, and so Joe was just asking how much revenue was raised before and after the tax cuts. <clears throat> I don't know what the total total amount was. I actually do think the total and revenue that they took in did go down. But another thing that we have to realize is that it takes time for those things to reverberate throughout the economy. If it benefits the economy to tax people lower because there's going to be more investments in other sectors and, and people are going to get paid more and stuff like that, that's going to take more than a year or two to actually go through the entire economy and for the government to end up making more money in the long run from that whole thing there's a couple other things in that very first list before we go on universal health care also the cbo estimates that the federal subsidies would be between 1.5 and 3 trillion more per year in 2030 under a single payer that's per year just so we know so we're going to start start totaling up how much these things are going to cost because he's going to look at how much money we're going to raise from all these taxes over 10 years and how it's going to over 10 years Yeah. And say that it could pay for all of these things, but he never talks about what the cost of all of those things are in the video. You'll notice that. Yeah. He'll say how it's going to pay for all this stuff, but he's not going to list out the cost of all those things. He's just going to list out how much we would raise in taxes over a decade. If everything remains the same, by the way, income levels don't go down. People don't find other ways to get around the tax system stuff like that, if everything remains the same right now, how much we would be taken away from it. So the universal health care, you know, the cost of money, infrastructure, we already spend $146 billion federally per year on infrastructure right now. So uh, I don't know what else, I don't know what more we're going to put into it. Maybe we'll double it. I don't know what we're going to do. We'll finally have those roads and bridges that we don't have right now. Also, we need an investigation to who he killed
1: uh, making this video, there's blood splatter all over that piece of paper. There, there is a lot
2: of splatter all over that. That is interesting. interesting. We need a blood splatter analysis. Make sure, make sure <laughs> you go watch. Make sure you go watch on YouTube. I'll put this up on YouTube later on, so you can actually see the video along with this. Reversing climate change was listed at the beginning of the video. Reversing climate change. Now the Paris Climate Agreement is going to cost trillions of dollars on its own, and it's talking about slowing down the increase in temperature by what was it like 0. 0.4 degrees celsius plus or minus 10 degrees <laughs> yeah something like that <laughs> not even talking about reversing it. the paris climate agreement and the people at cop 26 and all that we're not talking about reversing climate change they're talking about ways to slow down the increase in temperatures reversing climate change forbes estimates it will cost 50 trillion dollars to stop climate change 50 trillion now, remember, he's not going to talk about how much it would cost to reverse climate change. He's going to talk about how this is what we could raise from these people and it would magically pay for all these things. But I'm not going to tell you how much all these things would cost. It's
1: and not just reversing climate change. It would pay for all of them.
2: Yeah. All those all things all the stuff that we need, folks. And what we'll talk about in a second. The rich people are holding us back from what he's talking about. Won't even cover what we're doing right now. All right. That's another important
0: thing to remember. It won't even cover that. All right, let's uh, listen to a little bit more. 65% of its benefits go to the richest fifth, 83% to the richest 1% over a decade. In 2018, for the first time on record, the 400 richest Americans paid a lower effective tax rate than the bottom half. Stop. Go back to that graph. Uh, Sorry. Yeah. Now, you'll notice what he
1: did here in this graph, in the bottom right-hand corner, what his source is. The source is the Washington Post, and it's the Saiz and Zuckman
2: um, economists that did that study. Economists
1: that did that study. Now, Robert Reich, somebody from Yale and Harvard Law School and Brown, wherever he went, I don't care, (laughs) served in all these administrations, is using
2: a research study that is bogus to begin with. And the Washington Post article says why it's wrong in the Washington Post article. Yes. Where they posted this, and he's citing the Washington Post on the graph. And I know what you're thinking, well, did you bring in a cut from the Washington Post article for me to read, Nate? Well, yes, I did, Charlie. I sure did. It's right there. Under, do the rich pay lower taxes? Or I did bring in the part Post. of that article. For the
1: first time in U.S. history, U.S. billionaires paid a lower tax rate than the working class last year. This was big news. Remember when this came out? everybody. Mm-hmm. They're still obviously touting this to today, okay? On the question of tax burden, Jason Furman, an an economics professor at Harvard University who chaired the White House Council of Economic Advisors under President Barack Obama, noted that Saez and Zuckman did not include the refundable tax credits, such as the earned income tax credit, in their their analysis. The credit, which is intended to encourage low-income families to work— is part of the tax code, Furman said. A person who paid $1,000 in federal income taxes and then received a $1,500 credit would have a total federal tax burden of negative $500, meaning $500 would go in your pocket, okay? But Furman said that under Saez and Zuckman's analysis, that person would instead show a burden of $0. That result would make the total tax burdens at the lower end of the income spectrum appear higher than they are. So yeah. what they did is anybody who had a negative, uh, which means you received more money from the government than you paid in. They just defaulted all those people to zero as if they didn't pay taxes and not counting the negative number. What that <clears throat> does is that skews the effective tax rate of the bottom 50% because you're, you're at, you're getting rid of all the negative ones. And so that's how they're using this graph. And then they just spit this out as it's truth. And this is, this is so maddening that this is still used today.
2: They just, they just cite it like it's a, yeah, like it's a real thing. Just cite it. Just talk about it. Just say it. And this is why,
1: I mean, we need some libertarians in academia to just come up with studies <laughs> Yeah, and then just, you know, just post them. Yeah. Like, well, I did the study that climate change isn't real. It's a, it's a real study. Um, and what'd I, you do? Well, I just got rid of all the, the carbon metrics, just you know, get rid they of just don't exist. Yeah. We just kind of those as a zero. It's just, it's absolutely mind-boggling, especially somebody who is, and this is why you know it's an agenda, mm-hmm. right? It has nothing to do with the actual truth because if he was an economist worth his salt, then he would never use a study like this and he wouldn't put this false information together. So this right here, regardless of the first minute we saw anyway, that, including this graph and this source and saying this, completely disregards the whole thing. Mm-hmm. You can't believe a word this guy
2: says. Because they're building everything off of this premise in the first place, yeah. by the way, that the that the rich pay a lower effective tax rate than the people in the bottom, than the working class, because rich people don't work. And that's uh, what we also know about people who have a lot of money, is that they don't work. And uh, by the way, there was another um, thing in here when we were talking about the top 1% paying 40% of the taxes. I found a fact check on that because... People, these, these right-wing extremists, have been using this 40% number, this top 1% pay 40% of the taxes. And I found an article from New York Magazine called, No, the richest 1% don't pay 40% of the taxes. It's great. Actually, one of the sad constants of American political debate is that any time the tax rate on the rich is to be either raised or lowered, Republicans will repeat a certain statistic. The stat is that the highest or one percent of taxpayers pay 40 percent of all income taxes of all, yep. all of them in the thing that says, no, they don't do this. Here's another paragraph. The stat is literally true. <laughs> start a paragraph with that. The stat is three paragraphs into the fact check. Literally true. But it is
1: deeply misleading. Now, what about their headline? Is the headline misleading? <laughs> no, the richest 1% don't pay 40% of t- of the taxes. But three paragraphs into that, the headline, it says the stat is literally true. Well, they actually do. <laughs> but let me tell you why it's wrong. Yeah. So Nate and I have come up with a solution to this, which is we are starting the fact checker of the fact checkers. We're be- going to start fact checking the fact checkers.
2: I think that that would be a worthwhile thing to do for sure. Well, I know you got a, you, uh, I actually don't have a hard stop anymore.
1: It just got canceled.
2: Well, you're welcome. You know, they continue this conversation about paying your fair share. The rich need to pay their fair share finally. And what they consistently, what they try to do is they say that, well, they're not paying their share of what the income is. You know, they have, they make all this income and they're not paying what the fair share is. Now, this person who also wrote this, uh, did this article, um, put out this graph, and once they take into account all of the other taxes that people pay, because remember, the stat is the income taxes, the top 1% pay 40% of all the income taxes, and they say that is literally true, all right? And so they also bring in this graph right here, and they say, no, that's not true, And so for the top 1%, here's the total income, the total share of income is 20.9%. And they pay 24.1% of all of the taxes, meaning they still pay more than what the share of income is. Now that's still, how is that not your fair share? I still want to know the answer to that question. You're paying more because when you go to the uh, poorest 20%, well, they're paying a lower percentage than what their income is. You go to the second 20%, they're paying a lower percentage than what their income is. The middle 20%, they're paying a lower percentage than what their income is. The fourth 20%, they're paying a lower percentage than what their income is. And then you get into like the middle class, upper middle class, and they're the first bracket that starts paying a little bit more than what their income is, 26.1% to 25.5%. And so what I want to know is, what do you mean by fair share? Like what's fair? You're paying more than what your percentage of the income is. So what, what, what are you talking about here? I don't i don't quite get it i don't quite get the argument here oh let's go into some more
0: fallacies real quick Lower effective tax rate than the bottom half repealing the trump tax cuts benefits to the wealthy and big corporations will raise an estimated 500 billion dollars over a decade. now stop
2: because 100 billion dollars over a decade because i've been told repeatedly repeatedly the number that is cited is that the Trump tax cuts cost us $1.2 trillion over a decade. All right. That's the number I've, I've seen Robert Reich throw that number out there a bunch of times, right? The third, sorry, I'm going to get it right. Um, i want to get it right now. He's saying <laughs> that reinstituting those would bring in 500 billion over 10 years. That's, I don't know. I just find that weird.
0: Second, raise the tax rate on those at the top. In the 1950s, the highest tax rate on the richest Americans was over 90%. Even after tax deductions and credits, they still paid over 40%. But since then, tax rates have dropped dramatically. Today, after Trump's tax cuts, the richest Americans pay less than 26%, Again, deductibles. Using the same study, by the way, the same
1: flawed study for that right there. And not only that, the 90% tax rate, let's talk about this because this is something the left points out all the time. Like, well, back when America was great, so you talk about the greatest time in history for America, the top tax rate was 90%. Now, it, that is true. Mm-hmm. It
2: the was top, 91%. 91% yeah. was the
1: top uh, income tax rate, by the way.
2: Federal income the tax federal rate. Federal income. Mm-hmm.
1: Now, rich people don't really make an income, okay? Mark Zuckerberg's income for being CEO of Facebook is like a dollar a year, right? Yeah. Something like that. Uh, Jeff Bezos's income, his income for uh, being the CEO of Amazon, I think, was $75,000 a year. That was his income. Mm-hmm. So he was taxed.
2: M- Musk is also at, I think, a $1 yeah income.
1: on that. That's their income. So the same thing applied in the 50s because here's one thing rich people are good at. They're good at not giving money away if they don't have to. Okay. They're good at using that money uh, for a particular use and uh,
2: productively. You know, know another weird thing, by the way, he just said that their tax rate was actually 40% after everything in the fifties. And then he shows a graph decreasing from 55% down to 26%. -hmm. Where did the 55% come from?
1: Well, it was just, yeah, sixties was even better. (laughs) (laughs)
2: <laughs> so it jumped up from 40 up to 55 i guess from the 50s I or are they just starting this from some random higher point on the graph and going down to well, a lower getting, point they're getting
1: rid of data yeah um by this um by this study yeah so the saiz and zuckman
2: study that's still, completely bogus still coming from those two right there yeah the same washington post thing so, um, do you want to read that 90% yeah, tax so rate, 90% thing?
1: tax rate, the tax foundation, the 42% tax rate on the top 1% takes into account all taxis, um, all taxis and taxes,
2: both, all of them.
1: Levied by federal, state, and local governments, including income, payroll, corporate, excise, property, and estate taxes. When we look at income taxes specifically, the top 1% of taxpayers paid an average effective rate of only 16.9% in income taxes during the 1950s. 16.9. So that that 91% tax rate in the 50s, they paid an effective rate of only 16.9%. Yeah. Okay. Okay. The 91% bracket of 1950 only applied to households with income over $200,000, or about $2 million in today's dollars. Only a small number of taxpayers would have had enough income to fall into that top bracket, fewer than 10,000 households, according to an article in the Wall Street Journal. Many households in the top 1% in the 1950s probably did not fall into the 91% bracket to begin with.
2: That's not important.
1: And also remember, no matter what the tax rate has been, and this has been pretty consistent. Again, I'm taking this from uh, our good friends. Anthony Davies. Anthony Davies Yeah, from uh, Numbers. Words and Numbers. Words and Numbers. Great podcast. Check it out. Anthony Davies. Really like him. We, I, I met him in person. We did at, um, was it Liberty Fest here in Nashville? Is that I, was, what
2: I can't remember what it was Freedom called. Fest. Freed- no, Freedom Fest. No, it wasn't Freedom Fest. It wasn't Freedom Fest, no. Well, we met him there, too. It uh, doesn't matter.
1: Yeah, the speech we did. He was also doing a, a speech there. And I uh, got to meet him. Great guy. And uh, I love his work. But um, if you look at the actual uh, taxes, that the revenue, quote-unquote revenue, the stolen, th- the, the theft uh, from our government, compared to GDP, it's always been around 18%, no matter what the tax rate's been,
2: ever. Fluctuates between like 16 and 18%. Yeah. Or say average of like 17%.
1: So it's a pretty constant... Um, it's a pretty constant rate of GDP. So as the, uh, you know, GDP grows, then the government, you know, confiscates that, that much money, no matter what kind of rate they put in place. And that's because people will find a way to get out of just shelling money over to the government. Even if, even if he were to pass some of this stuff, they would find ways of getting around it.
2: And they would still probably just confiscate around 17 percent of whatever the GDP was, meaning that uh, the great point that they make in the book, Cooperation and Coercion, is that what the government needs to do is find ways. If they're going to do anything, the focus needs to be on raising GDP needs to be everything about raising GDP, because no matter what you're going to take in around 17 percent of whatever the GDP is, whatever you make the tax rates, it's going to be around 17 percent. And so if they want to make more money, they need to find ways to increase the GDP. That's a, uh, that's really it.
1: And keep in mind how they sold the income tax to begin with. See, this is what they do to sell it to you, right? Because this is only going to apply to the richest Americans ever. Mm-hmm. Okay. And what it ultimately ends up doing is because uh, cl- there's clearly not enough money for everything they want to do from just the richest people is it always falls to the, usually the middle class. Okay. And there's the ones who actually get hurt the most because people making People in the top percent that make $400,000 a year who operate a small business uh, can't actually afford the increases in taxes. And so those people go out of business and all you're doing is creating more disparity than you have to begin with, okay? Now, because remember in 1913, the Revenue Act, I'm going to read this for you, the Revenue Act of 1913 imposed a 1% tax on incomes above $3,000 with a top tax rate of 6% on those earning more than $500,000 per year, approximately 3% of the entire population was subject to the income tax. Just 3%. Okay? Now, what is $3,000 in 1913? What does that equate to
2: today? It's about $80 billion, I I think. Something like that. that. (laughs) Um, That's what it is in Bitcoin.
1: I want to see what today's money value would be. Um, it would be about eighty-three thousand eight hundred and fourteen dollars today. Okay. So if you're making about eighty-five grand today, one percent tax.
2: Okay. Well, let's go back to that.
1: Now this is how exactly. So this is how um they would sell it to folks is they would say, Oh, well, it's not gonna apply to you. It's only for these super rich people, these yeah. <laughs> people making eighty-five thousand dollars or more gonna pay one percent. And 6% on the people making now $500,000 back in 1913 was, you know, quite a few millions today.
2: Um, He also tells a story in that, by the way, of a congressman while they were debating this tax, this 1% tax on the wealthy uh, that got up and this alarmist congressman that got up and said, if we do this, then in a certain span of years, eventually they'll be taking X this amount of money from people, and people laughed at him uh, for saying that the government would ever take that much of their income. And the number he threw out was five percent, <laughs> and they laughed at him for saying for being this crazy person out yeah. there saying that. And I think it I think it took like seven years for them to get up to that number. It was a pretty pretty short amount of time. All right, now let's, keep
1: in mind. So I feel like a lot of people out there probably make about eighty eighty five thousand dollars a year, or, or somewhere close to that. One percent of that. Would be $850. $850 would be your
2: tax bill. I think we could get behind that for a, a for a new tax bill. As libertarians,
1: yeah. maybe this is something we should strive
2: 1%. for. 1%. Let's go back to the original tax bill. Yeah. Just that right there. Okay, here we go. Let's see what else, uh, see what other crap.
0: Robert Reich III has the spew out over here. ...options and credits. And this rate applies only to dollars earned in excess of $523,601. Raising the marginal tax rate by just 1% on the richest Americans would bring in an estimated $123 billion over 10 years. I love how he's, a well- he's all animated and
1: everything. We bring in an estimated $123 billion
2: over 10 years. <laughs> over 10 years. like
1: Every time he says over 10 yeah. years, it's real
2: quiet. Yeah. So you're saying it's going to be $12.3 billion? Yeah. 12. About, uh, about 18 hours exactly. worth of funding yeah. for the government? So what's going to come in? We'll go yeah. over that
1: at, uh, at the end.
2: Too. Raising that marginal tax rate is going to bring in $123 billion over 10 years. All right, wealth
0: taxes. What do we got? How much are we going to bring in here over 10 years? Wealth tax on the super wealthy. Wealth is even more unequal than income. The richest one-tenth of 1% of Americans have almost as much wealth as the bottom 90% put together. Just during the pandemic, America's billionaires added $1.3 trillion to their collective wealth. I don't Elizabeth- even see Bill Gates. I
1: don't even see Bill Gates's picture up there anymore. Mm. Yeah, he's falling down, man. Yes, you know.
2: Now, they're still using shoddy statistics, which we've talked about plenty of times, but they count during the pandemic as from the lowest the stock market hit during the pandemic. Not from the beginning of it. Not from the beginning of the year. They, they start pulling their data set from the lowest that everyone's wealth got during the pandemic and then how much it increased after that. Mm-hmm. Now, it increased a bunch. It's actually, I think it's over two trillion by by now. It's a, it's increased. It's a lot. Okay. They also throw out this statistic that um that the richest point 0.1% uh, have so much more wealth than everyone else. Like that's a bad thing. I mean, when when you're not making a lot of money, like, whoa, what? How do they think wealth is generated? Is what I want to know. How are you gonna have a wealth? You don't just get it. Like you're not just making fifty grand a year. And you just are going to be counted in like the wealthy someday. You got to make, you got to take all these, you got to take time to build up that wealth. What generally happens is as you get older, you build up some wealth as more time goes on. You
1: accumulate
2: You some accumulate wealth. wealth. Maybe your house gets paid off. It goes up in value, something like that. Maybe you're putting money into a 401k, IRA, something like that during that time. And you're building your wealth as you get older. But they count all these people. The average who, age
1: of U.S. millionaires is 62 years old.
2: That's good. That's good.
1: 62. So three years before retirement, the retirement age, 65. So three years, the average age of U.S. millionaires, according to a report about the U.S. millionaire population by age, um, is 62 years old. So as you get older is when you actually start to accumulate wealth.
2: We'll go into a little bit more about Elizabeth Warren's wealth tax plan, which she's pushing here, and then we'll talk about wealth
0: taxes here for a sec. Elizabeth Warren's proposed wealth tax would charge 2% on wealth over fifty million billion and 3% on wealth over $1 billion. It would only apply to about 75,000 U.S. households, fewer than one-tenth of 1% of taxpayers. Under it, for example, Jeff Bezos would owe $5.7 billion. Out of his $185 billion fortune, that's less than half what he made in one day last year also God. he's lost more than that in one
1: day before and then now remember this is uh, per year yeah. by the way you have to file taxes every year so how it's 5 billion this year and then you know next year it's close to 5 billion the year after that it's going to be close to 5 billion and then and then when he's out of his 185 billion dollars then what do you do
2: Doesn't matter because we solved poverty during that time. You know, that's what we were missing was $185 billion. Mm -hmm. That's all we needed this entire time that we've spent $25 trillion fighting poverty. Remember all those programs we listed off? What we were missing was the fact that Jeff Bezos didn't pay $5.7 billion every single year. And in 30 years... It would be gone. It would be way faster than that, actually, because as soon as he started, as soon as they enacted the wealth tax, you would see the biggest freaking stock market crash you've ever seen in your entire life because people would have to be selling shares to pay this off. You guys see what happened with Tesla when Musk was like, oh, I'm going to sell some, you guys want me to sell shares? I'll sell some shares. That is what it would look like under a wealth tax all the time because they would have to consistently be selling these shares and selling into the people that are buying their stock, selling their stock, to the you lowly retail investors out there so they can pay their wealth taxes. As they're doing that, it's going to have really really heavy deflationary pressure on the stock prices themselves and the actual wealth would deplete way faster than even say 30 years if it was just 5.7 billion dollars per year. It would go down it would go down exponentially every single year because they would be chasing it down to the bottom the whole time. And then he throws out that less than half of what he made in one day last year. You can't trust a single freaking word this guy says. He knows he's being dishonest when he's saying that. He knows it. It's not that he accidentally said that. It's not that people think that that's a legitimate thing that they can say. And it makes sense that he made, he, he made $10 billion. He made $13 billion in one day last year. Okay, what about all the other days? What did he make in all, on all those days? Did he have any days where he lost that much? Did you talk about it the day that he lost that much money? They take one day where Amazon stock rocketed up because of something. I don't know what it was. Probably because the government shut down all their competitors. And then they say, "Well, he makes this much every single day." Yeah. Who cares? And what Joe Joe Bizzell said made. Yeah. In Did he sell it? Marks. Yeah.
0: Oh man, these people. Last year, the wealth tax would raise two point seven five trillion dollars. Over a decade, enough decade.
2: Over a decade, okay. so two hundred and seventy-five do billion dollars a, a year. Taxes here? Yeah, yeah. Um, we can do that. So, from the Manhattan Institute, pretty cool. So, talking about wealth taxes, uh, they're not a good idea, by the way. A lot of countries have tried them before. They got rid of them. Turns out, when you tax people's wealth, they shift their wealth away to other places, or it ends up depleting their wealth um that's just pretty much what's going to happen so weird how that happens it is weird and so what they want to do is have a global wealth tax you know that way you couldn't go anywhere to get away from the wealth tax that's why they want the global that that's why they got the global minimum corporate tax rate of 15 percent because they don't want the corporations shopping around for better prices they want a monopoly on your on your money they want to create a cartel where you can't go anywhere else Wealth taxes are inefficient and ineffective because wealth is inherently more difficult to measure. Privately held companies, for example, are not traded in public markets, which means that there are no stock prices by which one can objectively gauge their value. It was interesting in this article they talked about oh who was the um the Jenner a girl who had the makeup line and everyone was saying she's worth over a billion dollars and stuff. Kylie Jenner. Yeah. Kylie. I think that Forbes did an investigation later and found out that their sales for the makeup line were like a 10th of what they were advertising when they sold the company. And that basically the point they were trying to make was that it was really hard to actually gauge the wealth of people. Like what does wealth mean? What do you mean when you say that we're basing it off of, earnings and stuff. We'll say like 25 times earnings is what the wealth what the capitalization of the market capitalization of this company right here. And we're 25 times earnings. And how are you going to dictate what that number is going to be? How are you going to dictate what people deem something else to be valued? Anyway, it's all really difficult. Also, financial assets. He has assessors come in and yeah. say,
1: oh, well, now your home's worth this much money.
2: And, and they and they do that. They game that system too. This happened to uh, to my dad who was selling... Uh, well, no, we have property taxes due on a building and they tried to tax him at a rate that was like five times what he paid for the building. And he was like, I was the only person that was trying to buy this building. And you're trying to tell me that someone else is going to come in and pay five times more than this? They're just assigning a random value, even though there's that, not actually anyone who would pay that much for the building. right? And so they did get them to drop that down. Or uh, you're,
1: or the value can go way up because somebody's uh, you get a comp in your neighborhood that's mm-hmm. like twice your home value. Yep. Because yep. somebody was willing to pay that much more for your house than what it was previously. previously. And so this is what the market fluctuates all the time all the time.
2: Yeah, a dozen European countries had a wealth tax in 1990, but most abandoned them because they were ineffective and expensive to administer. In part, the taxes failed to raise much revenue because wealthy individuals easily move their assets across borders to avoid taxation. Weird. Today, only Switzerland, Norway, Belgium, and Spain still have wealth taxes, but those rates are between 0.3 and 1%, 0.85, 0.15, and between 0.2 and 2.5 respectively, much lower than the 2 to 6% that people like Bernie and Elizabeth are throwing out there. With a small enough rate, there's much less incentive to evade the tax, but far less revenue is raised with that much smaller rate. Switzerland collects the most from its wealth tax, and it only brings in about 3% of its total tax revenue. Wealth taxes distort behavior in a way that is harmful to economic growth and national prosperity. By taking a fraction of people's wealth, the tax reduces the return to investing and discourages saving. This can reduce growth because investing and capital accumulation are critical to innovation. Once again, like we talked about earlier, what they actually have to work on is raising the GDP because they're going to take about 17% of whatever the GDP is, so that needs to be what their actual focus is on. They can't hear us. Really? Yeah. Oh. Oh, that whole time that we were just sitting the here talking time. and I hadn't unmuted it. Luckily, it got recorded, so we're just going to continue on with the yep. video. They're, they're a <laughs>
0: trillion dollars over a decade. Enough to pay for universal childcare and free public college with plenty left over. Fourth. Yes.
2: The wealth tax is enough to pay for universal chi- child care and tuition for everyone. Wrong. It's not even enough to pay
0: for what we're currently doing right now which we'll talk about here in a sec. A transactions tax on trades of stock. The richest 1% owns 50% of the stock market. A tiny one-tenth of 1% tax on financial transactions, just $1 per $1,000 traded, would raise $777 billion over a decade. That's enough to provide housing vouchers to all homeless people in America more than 12 times over. That's it. Homelessness Se- has been solved by raising
2: seventy-seven billion dollars per year. That's enough to pay for all the homeless people that be in houses twelve times over. If only we would spend seventy-seven billion dollars per year. This whole time we've been skimping out on people mm-hmm. and only spending you know between three and six hundred billion dollars on all these anti-poverty programs and spending- building tent cities. Why would they do yeah. that when they could easily? Build 12 homes per person. (laughs) They're also talking about the stock trades tax, which is a terrible idea. And it wouldn't even touch people like Bezos and Musk. That wouldn't really matter because they don't sit there and make trades every day or make trades every week. Musk is selling his shares like right now. Probably won't sell anymore for another year or so. You know, that's not going to affect him. But some people make a living doing this. And in fact, people who run your IRA and your 401k and stuff like that, you end up having a retirement based off of them making trades like that. And th- they're talking about a dollar for every thousand dollars that's traded. That even if you're day trading, you have a $25,000 account, you think, well, if you, you know, you're not going to spend that much every day. In fact, sometimes you could spend your entire account on one single trade. In fact, they give you margin. So you could spend $100,000 on one single trade. You're going to get tax when you buy it and tax when you sell it. And that's just for one trade. And what if the trade loses money? Then, then, I mean, you're sitting there having to factor in this tax every single time you take a trade. People who run uh, investments for people, retirements for people, are going to factor this in when they're running people's retirements. They're going to become less active, even less active than what they are right now, which is not very active. They're going to become less active to avoid the taxes. Or if they do the same, you'll end up getting charged higher fees for it or you'll make less returns because their taxes are just going to get passed on to you or they'll be less active and they'll make lower returns because they're being more and more safe and being more safe doesn't equal more money. Mm -hmm. And so this is actually going to hurt people who are doing retirements or who do any kind of trading for a living, running their own retirements and not really touch the wealthy people at all. And
1: and the wealthy people will find another way to trade uh, the assets. They'll, they'll figure out another way, either buying the stocks in a foreign country or something like that, because you can trade on the, on the American Stock Exchange from another mm-hmm. country. Mm-hmm. So, you
2: trade with a broker that's, uh, that's located outside exactly. of the U.S. Why don't you just do that? All right, let's get into some of these
0: totals here. With no foreign transactions fees. <laughs> Fifth, end the stepped-up cost basis loophole. The heirs of the super-rich pay zero capital gains taxes on huge increases in the value of what they inherit because of a loophole called the stepped-up basis. At the time of death, the value of assets is stepped up to their current market value. So a stock that was originally valued at, say, $1 when purchased, but that's worth $1,000 when heirs receive it, escapes $999 of capital gains taxes. This loophole enables huge and growing concentrations
2: of wealth. to be. Now, first off, it escapes the capital gains taxes. He's right about that if it's not sold. What it doesn't escape are the property taxes, which if it keeps going up every single year and you still owe the property taxes, those are probably going up every single year too. And they're talking about these large estates. You're, You're paying property taxes the whole time that that's happening. But he is right. There is a loophole there the stepped-up basis, where if uh, your family spends $200,000 on something and it's worth $5 million right now and they give it to you, there's not any gains made on that. The time that you have it, if you're going to sell it for more money later, starts from the, the $5 million mark, not from the original value. Of course, you can make this argument if you think that the government needs to be scraping in returns from the value of people's assets going up. You'd have to have that ideology while right. you're talking about it. And I don't, so I don't care.
1: Well, you just got to take people's wealth, Nate, That's Yeah, this problem. Now, keep in mind, okay, when the heirs die, all right, now this is a, uh, there's a myth out there that wealth lasts many generations. And there are some families who are able to to keep their wealth going. But around 70% of wealthy families lose their wealth by the second generation. Uh, I just watched this happen with the, with, uh, the house of Gucci. <laughs> that literally. More so, around 90% of families lose wealth by the third generation. 90% Jeez. by the third generation. This is coming from Nasdaq.com. Uh, generational wealth. Why do 70% of families lose their wealth in the second generation? An article from 2017 from Nasdaq.com. It's absolutely insanity to think that because you pass down any sort of wealth to your family members that you should have to pay capital gains on whatever the value was. Well, you'd have to the ask, like,
2: what's the alternative? How would you pay that tax? When, you know, because a family member dies, you, you bought a property for a couple hundred thousand, it's worth five million when they die, and they're saying that they owe 20% tax because they died on that at the time that they die. How are you going to pay it? You're gonna have to sell it. Yeah, you gotta you gotta get rid of it. You're you're gonna go in massive debt to the government. They're <clears> gonna <throat> garnish your wages forever or something like that. So you gotta ask, what's the alternative to the system they have right now? Just because your dad died doesn't mean that you've magically got a million dollars to pay in taxes mm-hmm. without selling everything. You know, my dad's got a farm. If they if they got rid of the stepped up basis and it included farms. It, if something happened to him what my siblings and i would have to do is sell farmland to pay off the tax on the farm when they do that who's who's that helping with just the the government well i mean i guess we'll be able to pay for child care and homeless people finally something like that whatever it is we'll be able to reverse climate change with all of this Mm. that's uh that's what's going to happen so all right let's see what else we got in this thing they passed from generation
0: to generation Without ever being taxed, eliminating for property taxes. This loophole would raise a hundred and five billion dollars <laughs> over a decade. Six. <laughs> Ten billion. The whole thing. <laughs> Ten billion dollars a year. <laughs> okay. Close other loopholes for the super rich. For example, one way the managers of real estate, venture capital, private equity, and hedge funds reduce their taxes is the carried interest loophole, which allows them to treat their income as capital gains rather than ordinary wage income. That means they get taxed at the lower capital gains rate rather than the higher tax rate on incomes.
2: That's if their incomes came from capital gains. Right. Okay. Just just making sure that we made that clear.
0: All right. Closing this loophole is estimated to raise 14 billion dollars <laughs> over a decade. Over a decade. <laughs> Seven, increase IRS funding. Because the IRS has been so underfunded, millionaires are far less likely to be audited than they used to be. As a result, the IRS fails to collect a huge amount of taxes from the wealthy. Collecting all unpaid federal income taxes from the richest one percent would generate at least one point seven five trillion dollars over the decade.
2: Now, what? Where did they get that figure? Because if they know that we have one point seven five trillion dollars in in uh, uncollected taxes, did they audit people that, to know this? Right. How, how did, do they have the how number? How do they get
1: that estimate? <laughs> What's the estimate from? Right. It's that's <laughs> insane. Also, never mind. Uh, Robert Reich, the Thirds, the Third Reichs. Estimated net worth is $4 million, by the Mm.
2: way. Well, I mean, there's a lot of people that have more money
1: than him, so... Because this guy doesn't believe in capitalism, but you can totally buy his book Mm -hmm. if you want to. Definitely.
0: So, fully fund the IRS. As if they're not funded. (laughs) Together, these seven ways of taxing the rich would generate more than $6 trillion over 10 years, enough to tackle the great needs of the nation. (laughs) As inequality has exploded, our... All of these things would raise... $6 $6 trillion
2: over 10 years, enough to tackle the great needs of the nation. $600 billion a year. <laughs> that doesn't even close the gap on our deficit currently. You guys want to know what our deficit was in 2021? What was it, Charlie? I, Where is I, it at? It's over a trillion. In 2021, uh, $2.7 trillion. 2020, it was worse. $3.1 in 2020. Yeah. And they're saying that collecting $600 billion more per year through all of these taxes will pay for all of these new things, by the way. We were going to house, uh, there weren't going to be any more homeless people. Ending poverty. We were going to have all the uh, universal child care stuff. Poverty healthcare, is going to be ended. Universal health care. Universal health care. We're going to reverse climate change, mm-hmm. a $50 trillion ta- price tag on its own.
1: Just $50 so trillion, $600 billion. Yeah. When,
2: when you get that high, it's all the same. <laughs> Those are basically the same numbers. <laughs> trillion over 10 years if all the numbers stay the same. That's not if all of these incentives moving around inside of that structure that people don't change the ways that they make money. They don't change where they have their money, where they earn their money. That's all assuming that everything stays the same and the government does a perfect job taking in all that money and we continue growing at the rate that we've been growing and all of that stuff. Rich people won't leave. No, no. Now there's always going to be a 1%. We're going to
1: fully fund the IRS. By the way, the capital expenditures for the IRS last year in 2020 were
2: 12.3 billion. That's a that's 1.23 trillion dollars over a decade. Up from about 11.8
1: billion in fiscal year 2019. So they did get more money mm. in 2020. Okay. So, that is that's that's 1.23 trillion dollars over 10 years that the that the IRS spends on trying to capture by the way, I'm trying to capture one point one point two five trillion dollars. <laughs> get over ten years. Think about that for a second.
2: Yep. 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 So
1: right now with the current funding of the IRS, they're trying they're spending one point three trillion dollars over ten years to try to collect one point two five trillion dollars over ten years.
2: And by the way, that's two hundred billion our deficit just 200 million our deficit in october which is the first month of fiscal year 2022 was 167 billion dollars just in october right there that's more than i mean look at all the things that they listed out during that during that literally doing all of the taxes that he just talked about doesn't even cover the current plans that the government has right now the things we already have right now it doesn't cover it but we're also finally just through doing this we're going to end poverty. We're going to end homelessness. We're going to have universal health care. We're going to have universal child care. All this stuff we're going to have if we can raise $600 billion more per year when our deficit this year was $2.7 trillion. And we'll be able to have all that stuff. All of it. They're liars, y'all. And yeah. and by the way, in that book, everyone go read the book. It's a short book, a few hours to listen to on, on Audible on really good stuff, cooperation and coercion. He lays out a really good plan. It was the most simple plan I had heard for doing this, not the band. It was a really simple plan uh, for actually fixing the budget deficit, which is the thing that needs to be tackled right now. And what they laid out was if we've, because the GDP does continue to increase every year, pretty much, uh, and we take in 17% of whatever the GDP is, essentially, if they froze federal expenditures... For five years, meaning that they did not increase the budget for those five years. They froze them where they are right now. Then after those five years, the amount that the government was taken in using 17% of the GDP, assuming the GDP continued rising during that time, then the amount that the federal government was taken in, it would actually cover what the deficit was. And then you would lock in the government's expenditures only increasing by whatever the GDP was each year. And they would be able to do that. And if they wanted to continue increasing afterwards, which within with the inflation the government's creating, they would have to uh, increase their expenditures, you know, Uh, so just to keep up just a simple plan right there to fix the deficit, just freeze whatever we're spending right now for five years, and then it would catch up and then lock the increase to the GDP Mm. right there. That's pretty good. It's, it's uh, a pretty
1: it can, simple. That way, it can ebb and flow. Yeah. Uh, thanks to Joe Bizzle, I want to mention breaking news here within the last hour: active shooter in uh, north of Detroit. This is from the Detroit News. Uh, active shooter, multiple victim, mi- victims reported at Michigan Oxford High School. Uh, the Oakland County Sheriff's Office said Tuesday afternoon it is it has a person in custody following an active shooting situation at Oxford High School. There were several injured victims reported by authorities. Oakland County uh, under Sheriff Mike McCabe confirmed there were four to six victims. He said the scene is active with multiple patrol units and EMS units, along with SWAT and an aviation unit. We have one suspected shooter in custody along with a handgun. Uh, We do not believe there are any other at this time, no confirmed fatal shooting victims at this time. So four to six um, looks like injured victims, but no fatalities currently. And that was updated as of, uh, Let's see, three minutes ago.
2: Another way of uh, phrasing that, if you wanted to phrase it accurately, Charlie, is uh, I don't know. think it's too soon to make any jokes. But um, another way of phrasing that is that several people injured after bullet crosses paths with unsuspecting pedestrians Not or whatever they were. high school students. Yeah, after the bullet accidentally uh, crossed paths with people. So anyway, that uh, that is the way that we should definitely... <laughs> Gun shoots school (laughs) is what it is. All right. If you don't know what we're talking about, then you're probably not still here on the podcast anyway. Yeah. So nothing funny about people getting shot. No. That's why we're here. (laughs) All right. Let's get out of here. To
1: to make jokes about it. (laughs) All right, guys. If you enjoyed this episode of us breaking down, um, you know,
2: the the Reich,
1: breaking down the Reich, Mm -hmm. you know, this I mean, this guy is
2: economy. Yeah, he he is economy. When you attack him, you attack economics. Exactly. Yeah.
1: So, Mister Doctor Economy, uh, Robert <laughs> Reich the third. So, if you enjoyed that, then please share the show with a friend. Uh, this is this kind of thing comes up in a lot of debates. So, it's really good to have your bearings around you when you're talking with a lot of people, and you're not even really trying to convince the people on the hard left. A lot of times, I have conversations with people. Uh, like a, a debate I did the other night with uh, a, a TikTok guy, uh, not for me to try to convince him that I'm right, but it's for all the people listening who don't, who aren't immersed in this type of conversation all the time for them to be able to hear both perspectives. And some of them are going to gravitate towards the wrong side, but a lot of people will gravitate towards the truth because when you debunk a lot of the garbage coming out of this guy's mouth, because it sounds really good at first, but when you debunk it and people start actually thinking about it, then they they naturally gravitate towards what sounds most logical. So that's why these conversations are so important. So share the show with a friend, with an enemy. Send it to your favorite Bernie Sanders or Elizabeth Warren friends and children. We'll cut children this up and do a friends. bunch
2: of clips and all that yeah, and put it up on YouTube. there going
1: be a YouTube lot of things on YouTube, so go to YouTube, hit that subscribe button. We're, we're close on youtube still mm. but we need you guys to go hit that subscribe button damn it do it do it go hit the subscribe button the whatever the bell is i don't know what youtube has on there the bell
2: i think alerts you when someone yeah, releases something bell, hit all of it hit subscribe yeah.
1: punch your computer in its face and uh if you do all of those things and subscribe to the show go to good morning if you do all that we'll be back again tomorrow hope you guys have a good day and a good morning liberty